Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Pray with me this morning, please. Lord, we have declared in song what your word declares, what your spirit declares to our souls. You are the God of revival. So God, we come to you this morning seeking that God, seeking the God of revival. And we are asking you to pour it out. Revive in us, oh God, life afresh, life anew. Lord, I just come as pastor of River Bluff in these moments. You Lord, yesterday in our family, in our river family, we, we just walked with so many who were hurting and struggling and needed, just in need of a touch of the God of revival. Lord, I think of Donna Coons who, who lost her mom. I think of Yancey Rigney who his mom passed so suddenly. God, they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. They need the God of revival to come. God, you have conquered death in the name of Jesus by the blood of Christ. And we come to you, the God of revival, praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering and hurting. God, I I think of Christians around the world right now who need life from you, who need reviving from you. God, Christians, brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in unimaginable ways. God, send revival. God, your own church here in Charleston and specifically River Bluff Church. We're in need of revival. God, there are so many places where the world has stolen from us, where the enemy has lied to us and killed and destroyed, and we need reviving. So I pray this day, oh God, Holy Spirit of God, fill this place. Fill your people with your power and your presence now, God. We've come to present ourselves before the God of revival that we might be refilled and renewed and recharged. So Holy Spirit, we ask you and we want you to have unhindered sway in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Speak to us, we pray this day. And God, I know if anything good, anything eternal is going to happen, it will be because you speak. So I pray, oh God, right now that the meditations of my mind and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, oh God, and that you would hide me behind the cross of Christ and that he would be lifted high so we could all be drawn near to you, oh God. Thank you. That's who you are, the God of revival. Revive us now, we pray. Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I, I, I pray that you would make that just a regular prayer in your heart and mind, that the God of revival would send revival. And as Kyler, you know, put it, um, so often when we pray for revival, I think 
we too often think, well, them there people over there, they need reviving. Okay, maybe so. But friends, it's got to start with us. It's got to start with, with me. It's got to start with you. We have to long for that. We have to want that. We have to want to be connected to that God of revival. And we have been studying a book now for months um, that is a book about revival. It's a book about God rebuilding in the hearts of his people. It's the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to get back to today. We're actually going to be um, mostly in chapter 10. We'll look at the last verse of chapter 9 if you want to head there. But um, it's just get historical for you for a minute. If you've been walking with us through this study, you know back in chapter 8, there was a great day in front of God's word for God's people. And basically, they took the whole day and had the Bible read to them. Now, their Bible mostly consisted in that day of the first five books of the Bible, um, the Pentateuch, which often called the books of Moses or the law. And they listened intently and they asked questions. They broke into small groups and, and God was just present. And out of that reading, they discovered something that they had not been participating in, not been obedient in. And that was a celebration. Uh, God's law had woven in it lots of celebrations that he wanted his people to participate in. And one of those celebrations was the Festival of Booths. And it was basically God's plan that once a year his people would get together and go on a great camping adventure. I mean, you, you go study it, that's basically what it ends up being. They just all camp out together. And they praise the Lord, they worship the Lord, they eat some great foods. It's just this great time of celebration. And they had not done that for decades. Many there had never, didn't even know about it because they were so far removed from the word of God. But they celebrated and uh, based on the teachings of God and, oh my goodness, the glory of God showed up and the goodness of God poured out. And their hearts were stirred. Revival began to stir in their hearts that day. And they were moved as we move from chapter 8 into chapter 9, that, that movement of God, that encounter with God stirred them to repentance. And we looked at chapter 9, we took a couple of weeks to kind of unpack what biblical repentance is, and we saw in chapter 9 that it really moves best on the two tracks of worship and confession. We talked about the roles that played, and then we looked at a, a way to think about life, all of life as repentance, using a, a little tool called a learning circle that helps us think how we can experience continuous breakthrough in our lives through making life, uh, all of life, uh, repentance. And then we, we get to the end of, of chapter 9, and all of that moves to this moment at the end of chapter 9, before we get into chapter 10, where God's people, because of this incredible encounter with God, the next thing that naturally flows from their heart is to make a commitment to God and to go public with their commitment in a big way. And they do. And so we get to the end of chapter 9, and it forecasts what's going to happen in all of chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38 says this, because of all this, because of everything we just talked about, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So they, they form this covenant document, 
and they put seals on it, and on the seals, they put these names. And so what they're doing is God's people are re-entering the covenant with God. They, re- they came to realize through the reading of the word a great truth uh, about God, and they're drawn to respond to that great truth about God. And that great, great truth that they discovered about God was that their God was and is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Friends, this concept runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. God makes covenants with human beings and longs for us to make covenant commitments back to him. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about God making covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 26, we read about God renewing that covenant with Abraham's son Isaac. And then Genesis 28, God renews that covenant with Isaac's son Jacob. And then we read later in Exodus 19 that God renews that covenant through Moses with all of his people at Mount Sinai. Uh, we, when we get over further into kind of the histories of the people of God over in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read where God refines that covenant with David and prophesies, tells David that through you, my kingdom is going to come that will never, never go away. My kingdom rule that will be everlasting through you and that through your lineage, David, Jesus will come the Savior, the, the Messiah, and his kingdom will have no end. His rule will have no end. And then when Jesus comes, Jesus being God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Jesus makes a new covenant, a covenant that had actually been prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah back in Jeremiah chapter 31 that God would make a new covenant, a covenant in, 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 in flesh, a covenant in our hearts. And you can read about this in the Gospel of Matthew, of Mark, and Luke. All three record this covenant that Jesus made on the night before he died in what we know as the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 11 that Jesus made a new covenant and he said it was a covenant of grace that comes through his blood. A covenant of grace with God, from God, that can only be entered into through faith in Christ alone. Friends, our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and he desires for us, his people, to be people of covenant, to make covenants with God, to, to commit to God. Now, there's a warning in Scripture about doing this. And before we move on, I want to show you that warning. This is very, very important. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us this. When you make a promise to God, and some translations say, make your promises to God and keep them. But this one says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. So you're foolish if you don't follow through on commitments you make to God. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Now, some people live by that. They just think, I'll never make a promise to God. That's not what this verse is trying to encourage you to do. It's trying to encourage you to make them, but keep them, to lift them out, to follow through on them. And what we're going to read in chapter 10 is God's people being moved to do just that. They they, they have this encounter with God, and it pulls their hearts. They long to make new commitments to God. They long to, to live out covenant with God. And so the big idea, this is the big idea for the message today is this. When you have a real encounter with God, it will evoke a covenant change from us. 
It will, it will stir in us to make a covenant of change in, in our lives. Now, just want to go back to verse 38 in chapter 9 real quickly. It says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on, on the sealed document are the names of our princes and Levites and our priests. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, on the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hekeliah, and then Zedekiah, and then there are 26 verses of names that we're not going to read. You can read them if you want to, but we're not going to read them right now. Um, not because they don't matter, because uh, on that list there are some names that uh, actually you can see God using them in other places in Scripture, but we're not going to read them now because they're too hard to read. No, but <laughs> we're, we're not going to read them now because that's a lot of reading, and we, I wanted us to get to what I think of here as a very important part, and that's the actual covenant. So jump to verse 28. Verse 28 says this, the rest of the people, so there are all these names, and it says, and the rest of the people, the, all of them sign it, all who have knowledge and understanding, so basically, they're, they're saying six-month-olds weren't signing that day, okay? So everybody who had knowledge and understanding, we, we join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. Now, this was before Ecclesiastes was written, but they understood here. That's what this uh, entering into this cursed covenant was about. They understood it would be better to keep your mouth shut than to make a covenant you have no intent on keeping. They, they, they were aware of that here. And so they're still, they're, they're moving beyond it. They're saying, we understand this, but our hearts long to be in covenant with God. Our hearts long to make a new connection, a deeper commitment to, to God. And, and so they, they say this, to, to, to walk in this, in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, it got personal, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. Friends, this was a big comprehensive statement, verse 28 and 29. Big comprehensive statement. What they were saying is, God, we're going to make a covenant with you because of your word, the whole of your word. We're, we're making a covenant out of, of that. And for them, again, it was primarily the first five books of the Bible. And they said, we're making a covenant to make your word our primary source of authority in our lives. They're saying it will be our ultimate guide for what we believe, our faith, and what we do, how we live our lives. It will be the ultimate source of authority. What they're saying is this, from this point forward, your word will trump any human authority. Your word will trump any human tradition. Your word will trump my own opinions, God. We won't let anything grow in our hearts and our minds that opposes your word. It will dictate our thoughts and it will dictate our actions. Friends, this was a big compelling promise to properly place God's word as central to their lives and to their biblical community. And here's something that I want you to be captured by. Remember, this is a, a rebuilding that's going on. A revival is broken out, is happening in their hearts, and this is a response to that. And if, if we're going to have lives that can be rebuilt by God, if we're going to have churches that can be rebuilt by God, 
we've got to connect with God at this level. We've got to let God rebuild in us, and he wants to bless. And that comes as we allow these covenant commitments of change to, to transform our lives and our churches because our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And he calls his people when we encounter him to be covenant-making, covenant-keeping people. And that begins at the point of his word, making it that thing that is precious to us, that, that thing that is the foundation for our whole lives. So the question that we have to stop and ask is right now, what role does this book currently have in your life? Is it a source, the source of authority, of knowing who God is, of how he has said, this is who I am, not, not what you think, not what the world thinks, or, or for you, is this book, is it just a nice book? And, and you like to pull it out because there are a few stories in it. I mean, who wouldn't love, you know, to take a little rock and be a little boy and a slingshot and slay the greatest giant in the land who is mocking the people of God? I mean, who wouldn't love that story? Or a story of marching around the walls of Jericho and having them fall after you shouted, you know? There are days that I wanna do that with some of the traffic in Charleston. I just wanna jump out of my car and stomp my little feet and shout and it part. Just all fall, anybody else wanna do that? Yeah. You know, is, is that what this book is about for you? Is it about some good stories that kinda of give you a little pep up? Is that, is that its primary role? Or, or are there some nice warm fuzzy things in here? You know, there's some sweet words of hope. God loves you, wants to bless you, make you feel good about yourself, and you feel all warm and fuzzy. But then there's places where, you know, where he challenged it, and you, I don't want to read that. Is, that. is it a warm, fuzzy book for you? You know, some people I know read this at night so they can fall asleep. You know, that's it's kind of like their, their, their way, way of doing that. Is it, is it something like that? Or is it your sole source of authority? Does it matter more than your opinions? Is it a greater source of authority than Fox News or CNN? Is it a greater source of authority than Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or your friends or the United States Constitution? Is it the greatest source of authority in your life? Because if rebuilding and revival is to be fully realized in the hearts of God's people, that's the place. Is this, is this where you turn to to know what your future is? To know what you can put your hope in? Is it the foundation for every aspect of life? Because that, my friends, is what Nehemiah chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 was saying. That's what God's people were saying. They were, they were saying, we are making this covenant today to put your word at that place in our lives. And if we're going to see lives that maybe have shattered and broken and fallen apart and be put back together, if we're going to see churches, if we're going to see life come to our city where we live, work, and play, then God's people are going to have to be willing to make that kind of bold covenant commitment, first in our lives individually, and then second, corporately, as the, the, the people of God.
You know, we, we talk around here often about um, uh, an acrostic called soaping. We talk about soaping through Scripture, S-O-A-P. And S stands for Scripture, and it basically means that you need to have a rhythm of your life where you sit in front of this book. Every day's a good plan. You read a little bit out of it. You observe what you just read about God, about, about maybe you, about sin, about, about reality according to, to life in God's kingdom. And then the A stands for apply, make application. And we recommend that you literally write out a covenant, a commitment to God. God, this is what you said. I've had this encounter with your word. And so God, I'm making a covenant commitment that I'm gonna walk with you that way. And then you turn it into prayer and it becomes part of your life. You pray it back to God. You, you try to live it out ceaselessly. Here's what happens so often in soaping. We like that S. We, you know, we'll, we'll get into the word. We love the, to make great observations. We love to, to see something wonderful, you know? And then we move on. Friends, if, if, if you don't apply God's word and make a ceaseless prayer to God, you may not have picked it up. It's not going to do you any good. And this is what the people of God did in Nehemiah's day. They had this encounter with the word of God in chapter eight and oh my goodness, all they wanted to do as they had soaked through scripture, they got to that application and that's what chapter 10 is. They're applying God's word as the ultimate source to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their city, to rebuild their commerce, to rebuild their worship, to rebuild their biblical community. So there's a question here. Do you find yourself growing as somebody who wants to make new commitments to God, new covenant commitments to God? Do you find yourself to becoming more like God this way, that you want to make covenants with him and you want to keep them? Because the people in Nehemiah's day did that. That's, that's what an encounter with a living God looks like. A response that flows out of our hearts. And I want us to look. They made this great big broad sweeping statement in verses 28 and 29. But then their hearts were pricked by God to, to look at some things specifically. Three things that they point out in the scripture that I want us to look at. Because it's applicable to our lives today. Because this encounter they had with God evoked something in them, some areas of change that they needed to make. Uh, the first one is this. It evoked a covenant of change in how they saw marriage and family. It stirred in their hearts to think differently about the institution, God-ordained institution of marriage and what God's plans and purposes are for the family in his kingdom. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30. God's people said this, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, here's what had happened in that day. God's people had come back out of captivity, back into the land, and they were surrounded by pagan cultures. They were surrounded by godless cultures that worshiped uh, false gods. And to fit in and to feel good about themselves, one of the practices that they began to do was they began to give their sons and their daughters in marriage to pagans. And sometimes it was for the purpose of improving business relationships. Sometimes it was for the purpose to gain political advantage. Sometimes it was for the purpose of positioning themselves, you know, in, in the proper pecking order in society, marrying into a good family kind of thing. And so they were using their children 
as pawns, not to fulfill the purposes of God, but to fulfill their ungodly purposes in a pagan land. And they came to read God's word, and they were shocked by it. And they realized, and they repented of what they had done. And so they made it as part of their covenant. They were saying out loud to God from this encounter that they had with God, God, we're going to look at marriage and family the way that you do. Friends, this is a, an area of life that God's people, I believe, need to make some new commitments, some renewed covenants with God. About, about our lives. Look at a couple passages with me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, says this, give honor to marriage. Honor means to properly place it, properly prioritize it, put it in that place where God intended it to be in our lives. He says, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. And that's not just about our bodies, it's about our minds, it's about our hearts giving our lives over to our spouses that God has given us if you're married. And if you're not married, giving yourself to that promise that one day God may give you a spouse and living faithfully towards that spouse that God will give you one day. Not waiting until you see him and know him, but trusting in the God that you can see and know, that he may want to do that for you. Over in Psalm 127, we read this, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. In this culture, they had become pawns. They had become capital that you could move around in order to accomplish something else uh, in this world. They weren't something to be honored and cherished and raised to, to love and know God, raised in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It, it, it wasn't that. They were, they were useful that was not God's plan. They had departed from God's perfect plan and their families were being destroyed from the inside out. What we need as God's people is we need a revival of understanding the purpose and plans of God for marriage and family and we need to recommit ourselves to those plans and purposes and recommit ourselves to those people in our lives in new and fresh ways. There was a moment in time when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land and Joshua had noticed that his people, as they came into this land with these, these pagans and worshipers of false gods, they were refusing to worship the one true God. And Joshua had to take a stand, and he challenged everybody to take a stand. He said this in Joshua 24, if you refuse to serve the Lord, he's basically saying, if that's, if that's what you want to do, if that's the, the path you want to take, then choose the day whom you will serve. Just go ahead and broadcast it. Just say it out loud. This is what I'm going to do. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? But as for me and for my family, we will serve the Lord. He made a clear declaration. He put it in writing and then put it out there. He tweeted it, baby. He had lots of followers, okay? He made it public. I'm gonna, we're going to serve the Lord. We're, our family's going to do this. So let me just kind of ask right now, how's that going in your family? Are you and your family serving the Lord? Are you declaring in the context of your family, in your household, hey, we're going to serve the Lord together. We're going to make our purposes and priorities about, uh, about the Lord. Are God's purposes in your family 
greater than other things in your life, greater than hobbies or recreation or, or athletics, greater than, you. here's what I think will happen. The Holy Spirit will fill that blank in, greater than blank. The Holy Spirit will poke you on where you need to go back and say, God, I'm out of line here. We're not serving you fully out of my family. And when he does, make a commitment. Make a covenant. Put your name on it. Tell somebody else. Write it down. Apply it. Another area that an encounter with God evoked in God's people in Nehemiah, and I believe it needs to evoke in in God's people today, is this. It'll evoke a covenant of change in worship and community. In worship and biblical community. Look at Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. And it says, And if the people of the land bring in goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. So they're saying, our worship's going to be different. The way we think about worshiping you, God, is going to be different. And then it goes on to say, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now that last statement is a reference to what had taken place in their community because what had taken place in this day, remember they had come from a foreign land. They were broke. They were trying to rebuild their city. They were being attacked at times by the people of the land. And many of them ended up living destitute. And they were having to sell uh, their, their possessions, sell their land, sell their houses, sell their kids at times into slavery to other Jewish people. And they encountered God's word and God's word said, this ought not be. And there was this practice that God had established that every seventh year that those debts should be wiped out. And a clean slate should come to the community of God, the people of God. That's, that's what life in, in God's kingdom and, and rhythm should look like. And in that moment, they committed themselves. We're going to do this, God. We're going to be your people. We're going to live by your covenant and your plans. And so they did. They began forgiving debts that people owed to one another. And those who were suffering were no longer suffering. They were restored Redemption was happening among and in the people of God. You know, in in our day, especially in the last two years, there's been a lot of tension in local churches, in bodies of Christ, positioning over opinions and thoughts about all kinds of things. And one of the things that we may need to do is to release the debt and forgive one another so that healing can come. Release those things that we've been kind of keeping people in bondage to emotionally or spiritually or relationally. We need to release grudges. We need to let go of that debt that we're holding on to, holding somebody in captivity. We need to set people free. We need to set one another free so that the glory of God can come. And friends, this decision, this commitment, impacted the way they worshiped. It changed the way they viewed the Sabbath, and we see it in the way they made their covenant commitment. They they would have read on that day back in chapter 8, they would have read Exodus 20, verse 8, that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They were returning to a covenant community of worship. They were saying, God, we, we, we understand. And so uh, w- when these people come in on the Sabbath to sell their wares, we're, we're not going to participate. We're going to let our focus be on you, O oh God. 
And see, they were learning that in, in, in times of difficulty, in times of trouble, they were learning how to rest in God, how to put their full hope in God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 tells us, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Friends, resting in the Lord, abiding in Christ, those aren't just slogans to be cheered. They're they're not just something to cross-stitch on pillows that land on your couch. They're to be part of our lives. They're they're vital, life-giving principles where where we're coming to abide in him and resting in him and serving him out out of joy, relying on him to bless, learning to trust him so that we can just be at rest in him. And it's been a difficult season to do that. I'll confess that in my own life. You know, some people hear the, those phrases, um, just rest in the Lord and, and, and abide in Christ. And it, some people may think that sounds kind of lazy. I want to work for Jesus, you know. We, we think abiding and resting. Friends, this is God's call in our lives. Jesus told us for those who were weary and heavy laden to come to him and find rest because he was... Lowly and gentle of heart. That's, that's who Jesus is. And one of the, the things that this encounter that God's people had with God, it, it evoked a change in their worship and the way they thought about worshiping God, the way they thought about the, the, their family. A third area that I see from this text today is it evoked a, a covenant change in prioritizing God's work. It evoked this covenant of change, prioritizing God's work. Starting in verse 32, we see how this is described, and it continues on pretty much throughout the remainder of the chapter. It says, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give for the service of the house of our God, to to give for the work of God, for the service of our God. And then it gives some specific details. Verse 34 says this, We have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God. Here's what they're doing. They're rearranging their lives. They're committing their calendars to the service of God. One of the things that took place in their worship was they, um, there was always sacrifice going on. And so there was always uh, fire that was needed to burn. And so there was this great need in the body of Christ, if you would, the the people of God of that day for firewood. Now, I know somebody says, well, that seems like a menial task. Did you notice who got involved? Everybody. Everybody got involved. Everybody was part of serving the purposes and work of God. Was this a behind-the-scenes kind of thing? Yeah, it was behind the scenes. It wasn't, you know, it didn't put you on the stage. But everybody got involved in serving the purpose of God so that the sacrifices could continue to happen. And so they all committed to haul and chop wood or chop and haul wood. I guess it would be, that would be the right order. I guess it's hard to haul until you chop it. Okay, so they, they agreed, we're going we're gonna to take a week. It's going to be my family's week and we're going to commit ourselves as a family to serve the purposes of God this week so that all of God's people could experience 
the forgiveness of God through sacrifice. That was what it was about. They, they, were, they were all in. Friends, that happens to God's people when we have an encounter with the living Jesus, when, when we come to know him that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we read these words. Paul writes, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. We, we don't even belong to ourselves. So our lives, our, our, our plans, our calendars belong to God. First Peter, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 1. God paid a ransom to save you. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, but he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. We were, we were purchased for his purposes with a huge price. And friends, when you come into an encounter a saving encounter with Jesus, where you come to know his salvation, you know him intimately and personally, what, what the risen Lord Jesus did for you, it begins to change your priorities. It begins to, to, to cause you to look at the world differently, to look at your calendar differently, to look at your plans differently, and to make and keep new covenant commitments to serve him. Look at it, it goes further. Verse 35, Nehemiah 10. So now we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to bring the first of our dough and our contributions to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. Friends, right here, it impacted that place that nobody wants to talk about. It impacted their finances. It impacted their resources and their, their stuff, what they owned. And they realized they had departed from God's plan in their lives in this area. And they turned and they recommitted and they made this covenant to prioritize the work of God through their giving. That's what happens when you encounter the, the, the giving God, the God who has given so much to us is it stirs our hearts to become generous like he is, to become great givers. See, here's what one of the things they would have heard on that day when God's word was read to them. They would have heard Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, that says this, one-tenth of the produce of the land belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. And so when they made this new covenant commitment, they were making it based on what they had heard from the word of God. So they set out to honor God with this part of their lives. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 tells us why this is a good idea. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There is a, a law, a principle in, in God's word, it's, it's the law of, of reciprocity. It's the law of giving. And the promise in God's word is you can't outgive God. It can't be done. And God calls us especially to set aside a tenth part uh, of what God gives us because it's all his. That's what his word says. It all belongs to him. But he, he says a tenth part of what we earn is holy. It's different. It, it, it's to be set apart from him. And that's not just Old Testament. Over in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, we read this. On every Lord's Day, Paul says, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. It's this percentage again. See, when you encounter the life-giving grace of God, you want to give back to him. It will, it will evoke 
this covenant commitment of life change to give back to God because you want to honor him with, with all you are, with all, all you have, every, every area of your life. And his promise is to bless that response, to bless it. That's part of what revival looks like. You pour yourself out to God, God pour, pours out blessing and, and your soul just gets revived. And maybe this is an area, maybe this is an area that you made a commitment to God a while back and you haven't been living out. And maybe God's calling you back to that today. Or maybe this is a, an area that you've struggled in. And maybe God's challenging you to look at his word. And you're praying, God, I want revival to come into my life and my heart. And you're withholding this area of your life. And God's saying, I want it too. Here's what it'll look like. Covenant with me uh, in, in this. Give, give of the first fruits. But then I want you to look at the very last statement in this 10th chapter of Covenant. In Nehemiah chapter 10, the end of verse 39, God's people makes this statement. We will not neglect the house of our God. They're saying we're not going to neglect it any longer. They, they had been neglecting it. They had been neglecting their worship, but they said no longer. God, we're going to serve you wholeheartedly. We are not going to, we're not going to neglect the place where you have told us you dwell and want to dwell among us. The place where we can come and, and meet with you. Friends, in the New Testament, under the covenant of grace that Jesus established, that dwelling place of God is, is not the same. It's not that building that they saw there that day. Listen to God's word about the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And Paul writes to the church at, at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, in him, you too. And this, is, this moves from the individual to more of the corporate body of Christ. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You, if you have trusted Christ, you are God's dwelling place. Your, your life individually is God's dwelling place. And God's intent was that you would take your dwelling place with the brothers and sisters that are part of your river family and you would come and be a dwelling place for God together. But it starts by putting your trust in Jesus so that his spirit will come. And then it flows out of that prioritizing his purposes with your life, making your life a, a dwelling place. And so the question is, are you prioritizing that with your life? Are you prioritizing and dedicating space in your life so that you can abide in him, so that you can experience him dwelling in you, that, that, that house of God? Or, or are you not? Are, are you just kind of neglecting that? Are you neglecting the temple that God has given you? You're not taking time to abide. You're not taking time to know. You're not available. What is your availability like with God these days? He, he's calling all of his people to, to make new commitments and then to demonstrate it by the way we live, to prioritize his purposes. Recently, there are some folks in our church who have done that and they have, they're going public with that. They've made some, some new covenants with God uh, and with you as the people of God as they're, 
as their river family. They've made, they've made a covenant to, to be a deacon here at River Bluff Church. And the deacon covenant, it's, it's, it's two pages, you know, front and back, one page. And it's, it's, it's pretty intense on the covenant commitments that they're making. But before I, before I bring these men down, because I, I want you to meet them, uh, I want to read for, to you from God's word. This is out of 1 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy about this role of deacons, about this commitment to be a deacon. It says this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm starting in verse 8. It's not going to come up. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them first be tested. And, and our, these men have gone through a testing with our, our elders and with this church. So they've gone through this testing. It says, then let them serve as a deacon if they prove themselves blameless. Friends, that word blameless is not perfect. Okay? The, these, these men who are about to come up here will tell you straight up, they are not perfect. And if they start telling you they are, we got a problem with them. Okay? And, and we're going to have to, we have to have a talk. They're, they're not perfect. Verse 11 says, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12 says, let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. I love verse 13. It says, for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing. Those people who make covenant commitments gain a good standing for themselves and also, this is what else they gain, they gain a great confidence in faith that is in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's true for anybody. When you make new commitments, covenant commitments to God, one of the places that's impacted is your own confidence in your faith. It grows. It just expands exponentially. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, before I invite these guys up, I want to ask you, if you are skilled with your phones, to get your phones out. Get your phones out. And open your camera or your QR code scan reader, okay? Because a QR code is going to appear on that screen. And if you will take a picture of that QR code, it will take you to a document that has these men's personal testimony and some background about their families and their lives that help, will help you get to know them a little bit better. That's going to hang out for just a couple of more minutes. But I'm going to ask those men and their wives that we are ordaining today, if you would begin to make your way down front. Um, they're, they're going to come, and, and they're going to come and stand here, spread out a little spatial distancing here. But they're going to come uh, this morning and, and stand before you, and they're going to publicly make their commitments known uh, to you. So I'm going to let you guys kind of get lined up here and situated. And um, so I'm going to kind of name them. If y'all want to spread out just a little bit down that way, just, yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay. If you want to drop your mask for just a minute or so here and let them see your smiling, beautiful faces, um, this is Kevin and Judy Kugler. This is Dan and Cheryl Akers. This is Gary and Molly Owens. And this is Drew Telfer. And I'm going to ask them, as they're facing you, to answer two questions. And it's part of the covenant that they're making to you. So brothers, y'all answer this to them. You tell them your answer to these questions. 
Brothers, have you examined and prayed through River Bluff's Deacon Covenant? And is it your intent to live out those covenant commitments to the best of your abilities? Brothers, as deacons of River Bluff Church, will you commit to steward your influence both here and out in the world to make Jesus and his gospel known? And will you serve this body of Christ to help us all grow to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we might be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ? Okay. Well, believing that this is their commitment and that they have committed and signed the, the full deacon's covenant, uh, I'm going to ask the elders that uh, if you guys would come down front, and um, I'm going to ask you to find your uh, new deacon, and they're going to kneel if they are able and their spouse, and I'm going to ask you to just privately pray a prayer of blessing over them and a prayer of challenge over them. And while they're praying privately over them, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to silently go to the Lord in prayer for these folks. Elders, you can return to your seats, uh, deacons and wives, if you would stay here for just a moment. I'm also going to invite Art and Margaret Horn, if you would come down front. Um, Art uh, was ordained here as a deacon years ago, and then God set, sent them out to minister to pagans in Horry County um, for some years, and now they're back, and they're, they've agreed to come onto our team again as deacons and serve. And I've also asked Pastor Guy Smith if he would come and lead um, a time of corporate prayer for us as the people of God as River Bluff Church, uh, for the lives of these men, and for uh, our deacon ministry as, as a whole to be accomplishing the purposes of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as your children. We come to you as family here at River Bluff. We thank you for these men and their wives that have been set apart. We pray that you give them guidance through the Holy Spirit, strength um, to withstand attacks that, that may come from the enemy. We thank you for just how you've already been working in and through their lives in order to be set apart as a deacon here at River Bluff for a different type of ministry, if you will. I, I thank you personally for each one of them as they've poured into my life on some sort of a level, Father. I thank you for this church as we walk with them as new deacons. Help us to continue each and every day to pray for them and the deacon body 
and the elders and the pastors and the staff here at River Bluff Church. Thank you for this family here. Thank you for your love for us, how, how we can help share the love of our family and that will pour out into our community where we live, work, and play. So we just thank you, Father. We're just great, grateful children. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. My microphone's going to sound a little funny. But I want to give you something. Drew, that's to honor you, brother. Kevin, that's to make that day meaningful. Gary, just a reminder of this day. Dan, a reminder of this day. As they return to their seats, if you would, just give them a round of applause and thank them for their service. Now, one of the things that happened in the lives of these men that was repetitive that this church saw was this rhythm in their lives of them encountering God, making themselves available to Him, and then making new commitments with their lives. And, and they displayed this here in our church, out in our community where they live, work, and played. And this was the rhythm of God's people. But it started with, will you be available? Will you position your life in a place, in a space, to have encounters with God? And then will you respond in the biblical manner that we've seen laid out from God's people in the book of Nehemiah? Where they were willing and ready, first to start with making this book the foundation for all of life. And then out of that building on a life of commitments, of covenants with God. Are you available for that? I don't know what God may be calling you to do today, but I know this, anytime we have an encounter with God in his word, God calls us to make something new out of it. And maybe today before you leave this place, maybe you'll wanna go over to one of our crosses and pull out a little piece of paper over there and write down, God, I'm, I'm, I'm making a commitment today. And just put it on the cross before you leave. However God would, would lead you right now, I want to take a moment and pray for us that we would be available to be God's people on mission with him. Let me pray. Father, we, we come right now in this moment as your people. We come giving thanks for the lives of these men and their wives who are displaying that they want to be people who make themselves available to you, God, and then in that availability, Lord, they surrender. They make new commitments. They make new covenants with you, O oh God. They become covenant-making, covenant-keeping people because they've seen you as their covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. So God, I pray that as they have displayed this today and publicly, uh, just gone public with their decisions to follow you in new ways. I pray that it would inspire us to open our hearts and minds to be available to you, O oh God, to make new commitments uh, as we encounter you, to covenant with you, God, starting with your word, that it will be our sole source of authority for all matters of life and faith, and that we will trust you in new ways starting with trusting our life to you, Jesus. And maybe you're here today and 
that's kind of a new thought that it all begins with trusting Jesus believing that he is God's son that God sent him to this earth that he would live a perfect life die a sacrificial death to pay a debt for your sin and mine that we could not pay if you would put your trust in him to save you he will and then you can enter a relationship with the God of revival and enter a life of connection and communion and commitment to God you can do that right where you're seated today but the question is are we available and maybe as the worship team leads us in this closing song maybe you just want to answer that question to the Lord God I you're calling me here I'm available I commit I covenant with you afresh this day let God know that in these moments in Jesus' name, amen.